You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Wow, thank you so much. Uh, such a privilege to do what we do. Such an honor. I, um, I quit my job as a nuclear engineer nine years ago, moved 2,500 miles across the nation because we felt like God wanted to do something in this city. We didn't know a soul in Iowa. We felt like God wanted to do something in this church. We've always believed in this church, and we believe God wants to do something in this city. And nine years later, it's still brewing in our hearts, both me and my wife. And God has allowed us to begin to assemble something really great. And this team is just such a testimony of that. So we love you guys so much. We love you as a congregation. Thank you for your words of encouragement and appreciation. It means a lot. We're going to dive into God's word this morning, Colossians chapter 4. We've been uh, in this series in the book of Colossians for since uh, the end of August, so seven weeks, I believe it's been, um, and this morning is the culmination of that. I'm going to seek to bring a, tie a bow on everything. I also feel like there's something specific for a number of individuals this morning that God wants to encourage your hearts with. I want us to, this morning, be mesmerized, captured, amazed at the consistency of the gospel in our lives. And I want to set you free, as individuals, I want to set you free from being slave to the roller coaster of life. I believe far too many people live with this lie that they are just victims of this endless cycle or... um, succession of crises and drama and the emotional ups and downs of lives. And Christianity is nothing different than that. It's just, it's kind of a spiritual roller coaster of sorts. And you kind of, in moments, you have these bouts of maybe commitment to the Lord and devotion to the Lord that are mustered out of emotion or, or crisis. And, but after a while, it wanes. And you kind of get back to what you call real life. And, and then you're bored again, or you're strung out, or you're stressed out, or overwhelmed, and it's kind of this endless roller coaster. I want to set you free from that this morning. As we come to the end of Colossians, there is a consistent theme throughout this book of the consistency of the good news and its ever-increasing nature in your life. From glory to glory, that God wants to bring you further and further and deeper in a more maturing way day after day in your life. It's the consistency of the gospel. And the reason is because God is so consistent. God is unchanging. He's always faithful. The book of James says that there's no shadow or turning in him. He's always the same. He's always consistent and faithful. And then as Christ's followers, he allows us to experience something daily in relationship with him, which is this consistency something you can depend on day after day. So I'm not saying you won't have unexpected things happen in your life. You will. But you won't succumb to this like feeling like you're just hanging on to your seatbelts and hoping, crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. Instead, you realize this consistent nature of God's goodness spoken over your life day after day after day. This last summer, me and my family got to go to Disney World. It's every kid's dream and every parent's nightmare, right? It's Disney World. And uh, one day we went to Epcot, and uh, there's, there's this kind of older ride there. I won't even name the, name the ride, but it's an older ride, and it kind of has a reputation for being a doozy in terms of, like, your stomach and, and nausea and whatnot. And so 
my family, we're kind of family of six. We're kind of getting a pulse on who the thrill seekers are. And, and I've always kind of been the first, oh, I want to I get on the ride and I want to um, seek after the thrills. And my, my son, my nine-year-old son, he's right there by my side. But amongst the rest, my five, this trip, my five-year-old daughter, she kind of rose to the to surface as the other thrill seeker in our, in our home our family. So the mantra throughout our time at Disney World was, Dad, let's ride it again. Let's do that again. Let's go for it. And so we, we, ride, we hop on this ride at Epcot, and it's an old ride, and it's a simulator. And it's simulating the G's of like taking off on a spaceship into outer space. And then it's the G's of catapulting around the moon as you do as you're getting launched towards Mars. And, you know, just, just an average flight around the moon to Mars. And, um, and it's that experience, for, and then you have a crash landing in Mars, of course. And we get out of this simulator, and I just, I'm, I'm looking for the nearest trash can. My son, who has a, pretty, uh, has a pretty good tolerance for thrills, he also was not feeling the best. My five-year-old daughter stepped off, though, and she said, let's ride it again, Dad. Let's do it again. I was like, sorry, babe, we are not doing that again. Maybe when you're older, you can do it by yourself, but I am never going on that ride again. And it was the only ride at Disney World that I would say that about, but it was miserable. But sadly, I feel like so many people on this planet, they have this misconception that following Jesus is no different than what they experienced before they encountered Christ. That they're just kind of crossing their fingers, hanging out of their seatbelts, hoping for the best, and it's a ride, a wild ride. And I'm not saying that there aren't going to be unexpected things, unexpected turns, crises still in your life. But I feel like the result, as you mature in the Lord, as you grow in a relationship with him, the result of those crises and unexpected turns, it get off of the roller coaster of life. And more so into a picture of a marathon. That's much, a much more accurate picture of what Christ calls us to in him. It's much more like a marathon, day after day. Yes, it's intense. It's passionate. It requires intentionality. And it requires this, this eye on the prize mentality. But it's much more like one step in front of the other, day after day. It's simple but not easy. That's what Christ invites us into, and we've seen that throughout the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, said that this, this message of the gospel has now gone throughout the entire world, and it's bearing fruit and increasing. The nature of the gospel is that it's always bearing fruit. God is always at work. He's always at work in you and amongst you. That's the nature of the gospel. It's always bearing fruit. God is not passive. He's not stagnant. He's not sitting as a spectator of humanity. Instead, he's, he's, his fruit is always bearing fruit. His kingdom is always bearing fruit in our midst. It's always increasing. Chapter 1, verse 10 says, So as, this is how Paul prayed over the Colossian believers, says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, from time to time bearing fruit, and decreasing in the knowledge of God, being stagnant in the knowledge of God. No, he says bearing fruit in every good work. That's God's will for your life. That's his plan for your life. That's his best for your life, is that you would bear fruit in every good work and that you would increase in the knowledge of God. I think you'd make a decision to serve Christ and then you kind of be on this plateau of boredom and survival. But instead, there'd be this sense of ever-increasing knowledge the majesty, the wonder of God. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. says, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, 
just as, you were, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's what Jesus Christ purchased for you, is a life that you, you, you have a firm foundation. Now you, you have a place to allow your roots to go down deep and for you to be established. So you're not tossed to and fro by the, by the um, unseen circumstances of life. Then we saw in Colossians chapter 3 that the gospel even is relative to our day-to-day lives. Our marriages, our relationships with our kids, our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our uh, employers and our employees, the people we lead in the marketplace. The gospel is meant to impact even those places. And when we immerse ourselves in good news, that means something good for every facet and every nook and cranny of our lives. We will no longer succumb to that sense of a roller coaster of life. The gospel is consistent. So this morning I want you to say yes to that in your life. You'd say, okay, I believe that the good news of Jesus Christ is consistent in my life. That tomorrow morning I can step into that in a fresh way for whatever comes my way. The nature of the gospel is ever increasing. So I want to steal a phrase from Jesus. I think you'd be cool with that. Matthew chapter 5 verse 37, Jesus is talking about being people of our word and keeping our promises. If you take an oath, you should keep your word. And he says, let your yes be yes. If we want to be people that are consistent and growing in the knowledge of God and we want to step into this consistent gospel and the fullness of it, we need, we need to begin to let our yes be a daily yes. Seven days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, every day of the week. That'll begin to allow you to be set free from that roller coaster mentality of life. Let your yes be a daily yes. Every day you have have an opportunity to say yes, Jesus, to you. I'm saying yes to you, Lord. So let's take a look at um, these last 17 verses of Colossians. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. First, Paul points to the consistent nature of the gospel's work in our life and how it's fleshed out in the place of prayer. So this is the daily yes to prayer, to communing with God having a conversation with God. You can take the religious garb off of prayer and think of it as relationship or a conversation with God. You have the opportunity to say yes to that every single day. And so Paul describes it as being steadfast, continuing in prayer. Beyond the emotional hype, beyond your favorite song playing, your favorite worship song playing, beyond whether you feel like it or whether you don't, You choose to say yes, that I'm going to be one who is steadfast in prayer. Just like a marathon runner, there's moments in the race, they have this like, they're overwhelmed with energy and vigor, and they're like, I'm going to crush this. This is my best time yet. And then there's moments where they really hit the wall. Like there's the wall towards the end of the race, but then there's other little smaller walls that the runner hits. I'm not a marathon runner, so I wouldn't know. This is all in theory. But supposedly, for those that run, they hit certain walls. It's the same in following Jesus. There's moments you don't feel like praying. There's moments you don't feel like, hey, God, I'm going to sit at your feet. I want to hear from you. I'm going to pour out my heart to you, and I don't feel like it. But today, I'm going to choose to say yes to that. 
I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to invite you into my car ride. I'm going to invite you into the shower. I'm going to invite you on my walk around my neighborhood. I'm going to invite you to the marketplace because he wants to spend time with you. And that is prayer. It's continuing steadfastly in prayer. And there's a consistency that every single person in this place is not just for the, the super spiritual, for, for the pastors in this place. Every single person, you can say yes to a consistency, a steadfastness in prayer. And I love this phrase that he uses, being watchful in thanksgiving. He ties two things together that are inseparable. Our vision of the world around us and gratitude. They're inseparable. If you're stuck in pessimism, negativity, doubt, and unbelief, it, it affects the way you see the world around you. I mean, everything is just going, going to hell in a handbasket and, and everything is hopeless. But when we're watchful, meaning we're watchful of what God is doing, who he is, despite our circumstances around us, there's this gratitude that's in our hearts and the two are inseparable. So if you don't feel like you know what he's doing, begin to just foster a gratitude in your heart. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for your love in my life. Thank you for the mercy you've poured out in my life. Thank you for rescuing me from the pit. You say those things on a consistent basis. And then you, you venture outside of yourself and say, thank you for my spouse. Thank you for this, this one you've blessed me with. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my employer. And on and on and on. I actually want to give you a challenge today. It's your Sunday challenge, okay? So before you lay your, your head on your pillow tonight, put on a timer on your phone. Set it there five minutes and thank, thank the Lord for five minutes straight. Just th thank him for whatever comes to your mind. Thank him first for saving you, for pursuing you, for his love in your life, for him revealing himself to you. Thank him for allowing you to be alive in this moment in history. And then move beyond that. Thank him for the people in your life, circumstances that you know you can thank him for. That is your Sunday challenge. You got it? Mission accept, I mean, the challenge accepted? Okay, awesome. Do it tonight. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. It's a familiar passage, maybe to you. But let's take it to heart. To be continued, or continually steadfast in prayer. Do not be anxious about anything. This is simple, but not easy. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? With thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. That, that changes the whole demeanor and tone of our prayers, these bold, audacious requests that we're presenting to the Father when they're also cloaked or clothed in thanksgiving and gratitude. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? So another dimension of prayer that Paul references here is his missional prayer for doors to be opened for us. And he's specifically requesting prayer for him in his apostolic work amongst the known world. He says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. This is a whole other aspect of prayer that God is calling us to as a church, as followers of Jesus. That we would be people with a burning urgency in our hearts to pray for open doors. Say, God, open doors for us in Story County. For the 50% of people that the Census Bureau say declare themselves as unreligious non-religious, religiously unaffiliated in our county. God, we pray right now for open doors for us in this community. God, we pray for open doors amongst our family members that don't yet know you.
We begin to pray that way boldly. God has been stirring that up in our church. I, as, as a pastor, I, I put a stake in the ground January 2019. As we set aside a week for prayer, I wrote, wrote a book, obviously, Discovering the Power of Prayer, and we got in the hands of the people January 2019. And for me, that was putting a stake in the ground, saying, God, we are going to be a people of, of pe- people that pray. We're going to be a people that are driven to the place of prayer out of obedience and driven from the place of, of prayer in divine appointments and the supernatural and God going before us in amazing ways. We're going to be a people of prayer. And that, I believe there was a breakthrough that happened that uh, month, January 2019, the week of prayer. Over 100 people were here every single night. There was this growing hunger and desperation in people's hearts. And I've just seen a release, a slow trickle release of God's favor upon our church. More people coming to know Jesus, more people getting healed. Just somebody walked up to me during our meet and greet time saying last Sunday they had a boot on their foot. They went to the doctor for an MRI. The doctor said everything's all right. She didn't have a boot on on her foot this morning. We praise God. It's those types of breakthroughs that are happening. We have our, our largest core class going through in my three years of, since we started the core class, of people that are just hungry to know, okay, what is this church about? How can we jump in? We have more people being sent out from our church, and I know other young people that are feeling a call of God for missions upon their life. And if you want to know what I celebrate, what I get excited about, it's people encountering Christ, giving their hearts to Jesus, surrendering their, their all to him. It's people, the hungry ones then getting um, acclimated into community and understanding what we were about and equipped through our Christi- uh, lifestyle Christianity classes and life groups. And then it's being, people being sent out, people missionally being sent out from our church. We want to be a sending place. We feel like God's placed us here smack dab in the center of our state in a university town to be a launching pad to the nations. So it's the daily yes to prayer. We say, yes, Jesus. Today's my day. I'm going to seek you in the place of prayer. So let's keep reading. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I call this the daily yes to mission. Every single day, you have the opportunity to be a blessing to somebody, to point somebody more so towards their destiny in Christ, to point someone more towards the reality of God, Many, many, many and most people live oblivious to the reality of God. And every single day you come into contact with people. Whether it be everyday uh, shoulder, shoulder rubbing with people that you work with or family members or whether it be uh, one in, one-time encounters with people in the marketplace or in your neighborhood. Those are people that need to see God and they see God through his church. Through the people of God being the people of God, being the body of Christ. It's the daily yes to mission. So when I ask you, do you live with an urgency toward outsiders? Paul says making the best use of your time. That's how we make the best use of our time is we live with a conscious like urgency in our hearts toward outsiders. And outsiders, not because they're not welcome. Outsiders, because they're not yet within the fold. They're, not, they're, they're, they're one of the lost sheep right now. They, they have not yet come into a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, with their creator God. So they're outsiders. We're praying that they'll be insiders. They'll be with us. So I want to open your, um, 
open your lens to get a grasp of the reality of the moment in history in which we live. Whoa. Yes. Okay, got your attention now. Urgency. Um, out of the, the billions of people that have surrendered their life to Christ, this is what missiologists tell us, out of the billions of people who have surrendered their lives to Christ over the last 2,000 years, missiologists estimate that two-thirds of those people have done so ever since World War II, so the last 90, 80 or 90 years. Two-thirds of all people who have surrendered their life to Christ have done so in the last 80 or 90 years. But they say within that subset, within that two-thirds, Two-thirds of that number, so about 30% of the total, have surrendered their lives to Christ in the last 15 to 20 years. We are in the midst of the greatest harvest of souls this planet has ever seen. And yet so often we, we live oblivious to this, and we were like, oh, no one wants to hear. You know, it's just falling on deaf ears. Everyone's heard it. Everyone's heard it. It's gone in, in one ear, out the other. They've all rejected it. I find that most people have not rejected the true gospel. They've rejected a form of the gospel that's an incorrect gospel. It's a form of Christianity, Western Christianity, which is not good news at all. It's religion. But when actually people hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that there's nothing they can do to muster up righteousness, but instead there is one who came and took their place to adopt them into the family of God. It's like, what? I've never heard that before. And then they, they do radical things. They devote their entire life to it. I'll do anything. I'll be obedient to this one. It changes everything. So we need to say yes daily to the mission of God upon our lives. Here's a question I'd love to equip you with. Every single day, try it tomorrow morning. Ask God this question. What is my assignment today, God? What do you have for me today? What is my assignment? You don't have to, you don't have to conquer the world. You don't have to save the world. You don't have to be the savior for your entire family or everyone you know, what's your assignment today? What can I do today, God, to be obedient to you in this grand mission that I'm a part of and everybody's a part of it? No spectators in the kingdom of God. As I was, as I was beginning to think about how God is using people in our church, I was so stirred. I met with one individual this week who came into a relationship with a true follower of Jesus through a Taekwondo class. That's, I mean, that's not church. That's not a crusade or evangelism, is it? No, it's the regular stuff of life. And then as I began to think about that, I thought of other individuals, some who, who encountered Christ because of a relationship. They formed a, a grocery store. Another through riding the bus on Ride. Another through, oh, they went to help a friend move and they met a real Christian and a friendship was started and soon... They really encountered Christ for themselves. These are supernatural dealings, supernatural appointments through ordinary circumstances, the ordinary people, ordinary stuff of life. And that's what God has called us to. And anybody can do that. In the grocery store, in your neighborhood, in your just everyday dealings of life, God wants to make those supernatural dealings. He wants to make those divine appointments. If we have eyes to see ears that are open to what he is leading us to do. It's the daily yes to mission. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Tasty. He's actually making it sound as though like you're, you're, the words that come out of your mouth can be appetizing to the world around us. 
That's a great heart check. That's a great question for us to ask of ourselves, inventory check. Are our words appetizing? Does it, does it stir up a hunger in the people around us? That they want to know more about this God and whom you've encountered. Whom you've encountered. Like, there's something different about you. The words that come out of your mouth or the tone or the way you say it, I want to know more about that. It says that we can have an answer for each person, and God wants to equip you with just that. The right words, the appetizing words at the right moment for the people around you. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, and I know there's a lot of babies being born in our church right now, which we praise God for. Here's a good little footnote for these next uh, 10 verses. This is a great baby name list. So there's, there's 10 names here. And th- there's some real doozies here that I think would be, we, sh- we should bring them back. The first, is, the first is Tychicus, which I think would just be an adorable little kid. So, so here's Tychicus. We'll, we'll tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Here's another one. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who he can't have that name if he's going to be a follower of Jesus, so they call him Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear, bear witness that he has worked hard for you, for those in Laodicea, Laodicea and in, in Hierapolis. Luke, there's a good Western name, Luke. It's just solid. The beloved physician greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remembering my chains. Grace be with with, with you. Sorry. There's 10 names there, 10 relationships that Paul highlights in his final greeting, in his final words. And everyone has a unique story. Everyone has a, has a unique connection to Paul. That just makes his heart leap. That makes his, he just ha- he's compelled by the Holy Spirit to send a personal greeting to those 10 individuals. And so I call this the daily yes to relationships. It's the daily yes to doing life with people. And Paul here, he paints this beautiful picture of what life with Christ in the body of Christ, the body of Christ locally and at large is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be this beautiful mosaic of relationships. But here's the thing that I have to break to you. I'm sorry I have to break this to you. That there, there's no perfect church and there's, there's no perfect relationships. So when you say yes to daily relationships, you're not saying yes with these strings attached like everything's just going to go perfectly all the time. Because you look at these, these individuals, there's moments within these relationships that, pro, that actually brought Paul heartache. We'll just break, break a few of them down. You know, Tychicus and Onesimus, they were the ones who actually were going to deliver this letter to the Colossian church. 
they were like the, the hand carriers. But you know, Onesimus, he wasn't necessarily going because it was his first, uh, it was his first hunch. He's going out of obedience. He's, he's a slave. His master is a part of the church in Colossae. You can read about that in the book of Philemon at the end of the New Testament. But many scholars believe that this is the, him carrying out the obedience, uh, the, the, um, the commands of what Paul encouraged him to do, to go and be reconciled to his master. There's heartache there for, it, for Paul to sit down with Onesimus and, and kind of flesh out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that means sometimes doing the tough stuff. The, sometimes doing the stuff of integrity is difficult. But he's having Onesimus go back and bring the letter himself from Paul with his friend Tychicus to the church in Colossae. There's Aristarchus, Mark, and Luke. These three were all companions with Paul in different forms or in different moments in Paul's missionary journeys. Aristarchus was actually thrown into prison with Gaius in, in, for inciting a riot in Ephesus. I mean, these guys, they, they've been in the trenches with Paul. They know what it means to count the cost and really follow Jesus. He's not saying greetings to you, you uh, wealthy elite in Colossae so that they'll kick back some money to him. No, he's talking to brothers and sisters in the Lord. These are ones he's fighting the good fight with. And he's sending spiritual greetings to these ones of whom he knows have paid a great price to follow Jesus. And obviously Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. And Mark, John Mark, that is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark, lost trust in Mark, this young follower of Jesus. Thought he was a hothead and thought he wasn't, he wasn't fit for the journey. But his cousin Barnabas, he was going to stand by Mark. I believe in Mark. Paul, you're making a mistake. I'm going to stand with Mark. And there was a division that happened in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Mark and Barnabas went their separate ways. But what's so beautiful about this is even though there's moments of division, disagreement, you know, maybe even Paul felt betrayed, we don't know. But here, Paul is man enough, (laughs) he's righteous enough, he's mature enough to extend a greeting to this one who he had a falling out with. Like, you know, he's still a brother in the Lord. And that's, that's saying yes daily to relationships. It's stepping across the aisle with people maybe you've had disagreements with. Maybe you had a falling out with somebody, but still being, okay, I can look them in the eyes. I can still give them a hug. I can still say, bless you, that I love you. I pray God's best upon your life. That's, that's when consistency begins to set in, in your life. When you stop being a victim, when you stop being like, it's, it's, uh, your problems are because of what everyone else has done to you in, in your life. But instead, you man up or woman up and you become the man of God or woman of God that God's called you to be. And obviously Luke is the physician that helped Paul, especially in his later years as he was physically imprisoned so many times and beaten. I mean, Luke was like his, uh, just a godsend in Paul's life. There's Jesus, or they call justice. We don't know a ton about justice. But then there's Demas. And Demas is one who we, here he gives a, a, you know, a strong spiritual greeting to we find out later in 2 Timothy that Demas actually completely falls away from the Lord. And so the reality is when you say yes to daily relationships, it doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to go picture perfect. There are going to be some that fall away, and Jesus tells us that. There are going to be some that betray you. What Paul says about Demas is that, is that he, he had a love for the world. 
So he turned away. That's heartbreaking. And when you, when you commit to daily relationships, you also commit in the sense to being vulnerable to those sort of pains. Those are the realities of it, though. You get the greatest joys and some of the greatest pains. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Rather than sitting in isolation and trying to do this life in Jesus all by myself, I'd rather surround myself with this diverse, beautiful mosaic of people, some of who may betray me, some may, who walk, may walk away from the Lord, but at the end of it, I'm going to have something to show, a legacy of this tapestry of beautiful, rich relationships. And then he greets Epaphras, Nympha, Archippus. These were leaders in the church. And you know, Epaphras is the one who really kickstarted the church in Colossa. Nympha, they say, hosted a, this, this woman who hosted a house church. Like what we would in our modern day be like a life group or be like a house church in our modern day. She hosted uh, part of the church of Colossa in her home. And then he gives this word of encouragement, this prophetic word to Archippus, which obviously meant something very specific to Archippus. Which when you begin to walk out daily relationship with people, you begin to intimately and accurately, specifically speak encouragement into into their life, into their race. They're running after God. God speaks something to your heart and you can deliver that message, that timely message of encouragement right when they need it. And that becomes the fuel for their soul that keeps them running, keeps them running after the prize. Say yes to daily relationships. Sadly, I feel I had this picture in my mind as I was thinking about the modern church, the Western modern church. I feel like so often we treat relationships in the church much more like a vending machine. We step up to the church. We're like, okay, I like these people. I don't like these ones. Uh, Check out the nutrition facts on these ones. Ah, Okay, I got that one. You kind of put your dues in and you... You get, your, you get your candy bar of relationships and you, you eat it up, you gobble it up, throw away the trash, and, and you move on. Very cheap, very a cheapened perspective of relationships in the church. I'm going to be honest. I'm shooting straight with us this morning. I feel like the Western church, in our consumer Christianity uh, mindset, we treat relationships like a vending machine. Whereas I think there's a much healthier perspective of relationships in the church that I want to just cast this picture before you. In college, two summers in a row, I worked for this organic farmer. And so from about 4.30 or 5, we'd arrive at the fields, and we would walk through the fields, me and a bunch of other college kids. We'd walk the fields with a hoe in hand, and we'd just be weeding out the weeds, just up and down the aisles, up and down the aisles. But in the midst of that, from 4.30 or 5 until 11 or noon, the heat of the day was on, we'd try to get out of there by then. In the midst of that, we had amazingly rich conversation we're on mission together. We're having rich fellowship and conversation. We're encouraging each other. We're joking with each other. There would be the heat of the day beginning to beat on us. So there's this sense of tiredness and endurance that we need to dig in deep and encourage each other in. There'd be some days that some guys would flake out. So then there's the realities of frustration and discouragement and betrayal. But we do the right thing. We go and pick up our hoe. We get to work. We do what the master has told us to do. And side by side, shoulder by shoulder, we enjoy the work that God has called, or that the master had called us to do. I think that's a much healthier picture of relationships in the body of Christ. It's this ebb and flow of us spurring each other on towards the mission of encouraging each other, 
of yes, maybe, maybe being wronged at times, but not allowing that to taint our perspective of the bigger picture of what God has called us to do. Rather than this me-focused vending machine, put your dues in, oh, I didn't get my money's worth. These people are good for nothing. And we turn our backs on it, and we turn on our YouTube church, and that's all we ever, that's all that all church means to us, is what we consume. That's not church. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. It's submitting ourselves and committing to relationships around us and then being on mission together. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come this morning as we close. The encouragement this morning was, was an opportunity for all of us to have a ticket off of that roller coaster of life and, and step into a greater consistency where it seems like you're on a level ground and things just seem clearer and, and simpler. It's not going to be easy, but it, it is a little simpler. One, one step in front of another, saying yes to prayer, saying yes to mission, saying yes to relationships. And day after day, as you say yes to that, you'll begin to see a greater and greater consistency. The things we read about at the beginning of the book of Colossians, this ever-increasing knowledge of God, you'll, you'll realize this ever-increasing bearing of fruit in your life. And you'll look back and you'll be like, wow, praise God for his work in my life. The places he took me from, a lost orphan, and nothing to show for my life. And now I have this beautiful, beautiful, fruitful life of relationships and maturity in the Lord and a call upon our lives. Would you all stand to your feet? There's kind of multiple responses I want to lead us in this morning. As I was praying and, and I knew we were wrapping up this series, I felt like the Lord was telling me, Drew, as a church, you've graduated. That's what I felt like God was putting up the, the the three words on my heart is, you have graduated. Like, what do you mean, Lord? You've graduated. What do I mean, as a church, what, what have we graduated from? I just had this picture uh, of us at commencement. All of us at, as a church, we're at commencement. and It's like at commencement, they, they hand you your degree and they say you've, you've completed the objectives, you've done everything asked of you, you are now qualified to enter the profession, the career track that your degree qualifies you for. You are qualified. I feel like as we've gone through this journey the last seven weeks to, to kick off this fall, going through the book of Colossians, God has been convincing us that we are qualified as a church to make a mark in our city. Not because of what we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. That's the whole point of this series is we are ready in Christ, that he is enough, that the gospel readies us. So gone are the days where we have excuses as a church that we need to survive, that we just need to hold down our ground here and hold up some space, uh, real estate space. God is calling us to something great. Ever increasing fruit in our city, ever increasing breakthrough, no turning back. We have graduated because of Christ. We are now qualified. He's positioned us in himself to move forward with authority, to push back the domain of, the, of darkness, the domain of the enemy and to take new ground for the kingdom of God, amen? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have that call at the end for us as a church to say yes to stepping into that paradigm. We are not, we're not a second-class church. We're not second-class in the kingdom. You're not second-class believers. We, God has called us to the front lines and he's commissioned us. He's saying, go get them. 
Go get the lost. Compel them to come in. I'm calling you to be a house of healing. I'm calling you to be a place where the broken find redemption and restoration. He's calling us. And so we're gonna, we're gonna have a strong response as a church to that. But I do wanna give an opportunity for anybody in this place that wants to get off the roller coaster and step into consistency. I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're here in this place, you say, Drew, I've oftentimes thought of my life, even in Christ, or my life on to my seatbelt is much more like a roller coaster and it's seemed out of control at times and I'm just hanging on to my seatbelt. This morning, you want to say yes in those daily ways. You want to have a grace. I want to, I'm going to pray a prayer of grace upon your life for you to be able to say yes on a daily basis. If you want in on that prayer, would you just raise your hand? Awesome. Yes. Yes. Yes, Lord, you see these hands all across this room this morning. Maybe some of them have been disillusioned by flaky believers in the past. People who call themselves Christians, but they, their lives are as up and down as anybody else's. Maybe that's all they've experienced. This morning, I just pray for a breakthrough upon these individuals who have their hands raised all across this room. They've caught a glimpse of something this morning through the book of Colossians. That you're calling them to something better, something greater. Them being rooted, built up, and established. God, increasing in their life, never stopping, always bearing fruit in their lives. The good news of Jesus Christ infiltrating every aspect of their life. Their marriage, their parenting, their work relationships. So God, I pray for a grace upon each of these individuals. They've boldly raised their hands, saying yes to you right now, and I pray that would translate into a yes tomorrow, and a yes the next day, and a yes the next day after that. And it would true, they truly step into that marathon of running after the prize, which is Jesus Christ, in your mighty name. The worship team is gonna sing this song that we that we wrote as a church. Pastor Tony and Paige and Joe, they wrote this song. It's, so it's intimately specific to us and what God, we felt like God was stirring in our hearts. It's special, it really is. Before we do that, I want us to pray as a church that God would allow us to respond to kind of that commencement commission. We've graduated, we're ready. He's readied us. His Holy Spirit lives in us. We're not second class. God has called us to something great to truly make a mark in this moment in history. So would you just pray with me right now? You can raise your hands or put your hands out in front of you. However you want to respond, you can be on your knees. Just respond to the Lord as you feel led. Right now, God, we respond as a church to those words that you've spoken over us, that we have graduated. In Christ, you're calling us to something more, to not sit as spectators, just to not step aside and or be on the sidelines. You're calling us to the front lines. And you've placed us here in Story County for this moment in history to make a mark. To reach the lost, that the broken would encounter you, Lord. That this would be a house of healing. That, Father, this house would be a ascending place to the nations. That, Lord, there would be a, an influx of, of workers, laborers being raised up from this church, being sent out every single year, more and more and more. We're praying for an increase. 
And we're believing for nothing less than more, God, and increase, because that's the nature of your gospel. It's ever increasing. We believe it. We step into it. No more excuses. In your mighty name, amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.